received a bulletin, and in there there'd be a connect card. If you fill that out, a um, couple things will happen. One is if you turn it into our welcome table or to an usher or somebody, uh, they'll uh, get you a gift. There's a gift bag and some goodies in there, and you don't want to like walk out of here without a gift, do you? So fill that, that connect card out. Um, and then also, um, uh, I'd love to just uh, give you a, a phone call this week. Uh, we'd like to pray for you if there's any prayer requests on your connect card. So, um, and actually, I just lied to you. I probably won't call you this week. Um, Probably, probably a few weeks. So you can pray for me. My, my family and I, were, we're going to leave for a couple of weeks. We're going to go to an open Bible conference, uh, pastor's conference, and on the back end, we're going to do some vacation. I know you think pastors shouldn't do vacation, but, but this pastor believes different than you. So we're, uh, but we're going to go on vacation. We're going to go, we're going to see my parents and Becky's dad and stepmom and have some time in northern Minnesota near the Boundary Waters. Now, I, um, I, I'm more of like go to the big city and eat at a nice restaurant, but that's where, that's where Becky's dad lives. So we're going to go up and the kids are going to learn how to fish because they're not learning that from me. So they'll learn it from you know, learn that from, from uh, Becky's dad. So we're going to go do that. And then we're all going to go to Minneapolis and have, have some, uh, some good food. Amen? And, uh, and let the kids do some water park stuff and all of that. So pray for us. But then if you get a connect, I'll probably call you. And like, can you give me a couple of weeks on that? Would that be all right? And pray for our family with all that stuff. And uh, that'll be good. So next week you'll have uh, Pastor Kelly will preach. And uh, so the, the good news is, is uh, um, if, if Pastor Kelly hits it out of the park, you guys can be like, oh, this is great. We, we don't need Pastor Jonathan. And if he doesn't, then when I come back, you're going to be like, oh, thank God he's back. So either way, I win. Either way, I win. So, and then in two weeks, Mitch Stroda um, will, be, will be preaching. If you don't know him, he just uh, runs really deep and prophetic and, uh, and oftentimes in healing and signs and wonders. And so he'll be there in two weeks um, on uh, the 30th. And the good news is, Come Sunday morning for Mitch Stroda uh, for, uh, for that encounter of a time. And then that evening, uh, Stephanie Monty is going to lead another Encountering God service that night. So make it a whole day of Encountering God. Does that sound good? Amen. 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 Hey, Pastor Kelly. Well, just so you know where my heart is at, as a, as a good second in command, I'm aiming to set my pastor up for success. For, so I'm aiming for right about here for next week. So come prepared. Yeah, if we could have the uh, ushers, if we could have the ushers come and prepare to receive our gifts this morning. Um, I say just about every week that we view this as a continued act of worship and also an act of just submission and obedience. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but oftentimes our resources hold the tightest grip on our hearts. And so if we can um, give back to the Lord what is already his, that is, a, that is a, um, just a powerful act of submission to his lordship and an act of worship. Um, uh, again, if you'd like to go above and beyond your tithes and designate gifts to the building fund, we are real close to paying off this mortgage, which is just amazing. God's uh, hand has been at moving that. Um, and uh, so you're welcome to designate building fund on your uh, envelopes or electronically as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I just praise you for um, your presence in this place. I thank you that we are a, a beacon of your glory, of your presence for this community. You placed us on Dove Hill for a purpose, and we praise you for that. And Lord, we joyfully and gladly give back to you what's already yours to further that mission of just uh, bringing your glory, your presence, your power, your salvation to this area. We worship you with our gifts this morning in Jesus' name.
Amen. As we uh, continue to worship and giving, just a few things coming up. Uh, again, Pastor Jonathan highlighted uh, Stephanie Monthly is going to be leading us um, in a time, uh, an Encountering God service, Sunday, June 30th at 6 p.m. I've said before, uh, it's easy just to let the busyness of life um, keep those types of things out of our calendars, out of our schedules. Um, but these are the things that are really life-giving. When we have time to just commune with a father, um, that will refresh you more than an evening at home watching TV, I absolutely promise you. So put that, uh, put that in your calendar, and I challenge you to be there. Um, we've got a family experience coming up Wednesday, July 10th. And uh, right here, there'll be 545 for the meal and 645 for the service. There's some information on that. And then uh, getting way out in the future so you can get it down in your calendars. We've got the Spirit of Life Limitless Women's Conference coming up September 14th and 15th right here in the church. And that is going to be a powerful time. There'll be more information coming soon. All right, Pastor Jonathan. Come on. Come on. She, she always like takes my phrases. And speaking of, of children uh, uh, kind of picking up on what their parents do and say, watch this video.
All right. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I know this, that, um, that Father's Day and Mother's Day and some of those, some of, a lot of different holidays bring with it both joy and sorrow, um, laughter and pain, and, and so I'm, I'm aware of that. I think the thing for me to, to, to know when, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about a day like Father's Day, um, number one, ultimately, um, it's about the greatest father, Right? Uh, he, he's our example. He's hopefully my example and your example. And, and if you didn't have a great father, um, man, Father God is amazing. And, and so you can, you can really come into a uh, uh, relationship with Abba Father, Daddy God. And so I, I encourage you with that. The other thing I know is that um, when, when, these, when moments like, like Mother's Day or Father's Day bring pain, um, it's an opportunity too for us to forgive a lot of times. Um, even if your father isn't alive, you know you can forgive if they're not alive. Yeah, and uh, I encourage you to walk in forgiveness, to have a clean heart. Um, you know there are there are some dads um, out there that are just man. There is not a whole lot good about them. <laughs> you have to just you have to really really like really really search for even a glimmer of of good. But uh, I'll tell you, um, when you walk in forgiveness, you can see that glimmer of good. You can, through Father's eyes, you can say, you know what? And, and so I just, I encourage you to walk clear in your heart and to walk in forgiveness and to, you know the Bible says uh, to honor our father and mother. And a lot of times we're like, how can I honor? How can I honor somebody that doesn't deserve honor, right? Uh, there's another verse in the Bible that says honor all people. And you're like, whoa, all people. And I'll tell you this, you know, when you honor your father and mother, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you agree. It doesn't always mean that you even obey. Um, but what it does mean is that by, by your words and actions, you are honoring of them. When, you know, for a kid, and we've got a, a, a couple of kids still in here, if, if, the, if your mom or dad asks you to do something that's, that's sin, you can absolutely reject that. And otherwise, you live in an honoring way. And so I just, uh, I wanted to encourage us with that, uh, that um, regardless of where you're at in your emotions on Father's Day, one, it's important to honor, and um, you've got a perfect father. So, isn't that right, Lydia? Perfect father? No? No? Oh, oh we're talking about something different, weren't we? Yeah? <laughs> She's smiling at me. Hey, we're, we are finishing up a series called Aftermath today. And uh, um, if you're a guest with us, then you come in and you're like, oh, this, is, look, this looks like a normal, a normal setup and normal service and a stage and chairs. And if you've been with us for a while, then you're like, wait a minute, I thought this was all in a circle. Because for, I don't know, for a few weeks, four, five, six weeks, I can't remember how long, we had, and I mean, it was too long, whatever it was, it was too long, and, right, that we we had, we were, this chairs were all set up in a circle, and we faced each other, and we, I was talking with, uh, with the board of elders about it, and some other people, and the, you know what, one of the things that, that stood out to everybody that I talked to, is you'd be sitting in the circle, and you can't, you couldn't sneak in late, you, like, you couldn't sneak in, like, everyone's like, oh, 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 there, there they are, oh, oh, there they are, you, you noticed people, I, I, I liked, I liked that about it, um, so now, uh, you don't know that, like, like, Pastor Greg's coming in right now, you don't know that, but he's, he's coming in the doors right now, <laughs> oh, man, um, so, but, uh, but I, I really enjoyed the circle for a lot of the things that we got out of it, the, it really forced us to, um, to fellowship, it forced us to see each other, 
And um, what I knew when we started that was that we were eventually going to go back to normal seating. And I thought, what a better time to go back to our normal seating with the stage and everything like this on the last message so that I could challenge us to, even though things go back to normal physically, that they don't go back to normal in our mindsets. Because the mindset needs to be that, that we are in this together. And that's one of the biggest things I've noticed as I've been studying the book of Acts recently is there is not only an individual encounter with Holy Spirit and individual salvation, there's a corporate expression of salvation as well. It, it's both. And in fact, I think it's two sides of the same coin. Obviously, someday you're going to stand before Jesus. The, the Bible calls it the judgment seat. You're going to be by yourself, and, and it, he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you're gonna better, you better have a good answer, Right? And it's just going to be you and him. That's the individual part. Then there's a corporate part where the Bible says you were baptized into the body of Christ. You, you can't do this. In fact, you know, I was just reading in, in, um, in our corporate um, Bible reading plan this week in 1 Corinthians. It talked about, it was, I think it was today's one about, uh, in, Roman, or in 1 Corinthians 12 about the um, body of Christ. Do you know that it says that you can't, the eye can't say to the, was it the foot? The nose can't say that I don't need you, that you're part, like even if you want to say it, even if you say, I don't need the body of Christ, you know that, that if you are a believer, you are a part of the body of Christ, whether you like it or not. Like you're part of the body. It, it's impossible for me to take my nose off and, and, and for my nose to function over here and the rest of the body to function over here. It's just impossible. So what I wanted us to understand in this series, in the Aftermath series, it was called Aftermath because we started it right after Easter. Like what happened after his death, burial, and resurrection? And I wanted us to understand that not only do I need a personal encounter, but we need each other. And this one word together I, my prayer is that that'll carry on for weeks and months and years and that you'll realize that you need me as much as I need you. Can everybody at least, uh, at least humor me by saying amen? Sounds good to me. This last one, I entitled it The Deposit. We'll understand a little bit more about that um, in just a little bit, but, but it's called The Deposit. And here's, here's the main thought. When you believe in Jesus at salvation, it is undeniable because there is internal and external evidence. When you believe in Jesus at salvation, it is undeniable because there is both internal and external evidence. And uh, the, just the way it went, it, last week and this week is going to be heavy on salvation and, and heavy on us individually really evaluating our salvation. And, and, you know, am, am, I, am I saved? And, and if I'm saved, like, do I have the evidences that, that the Bible talks about? So, so it's a little bit heavy on, on both of those, and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just telling you, um, this is, maybe this is like part two of last week. Um, there's internal and external evidence. I also want you to know, as we get into this message, that um, all of us are on a journey. There, there is a, when, when, you, when you study Bible and theology, maybe you go to Bible college or something like this, you learn um, big theological um, words that you'll never use in life ever again, but they do mean something. And, and they're like, like words like soteriology. Anyone ever heard of soteriology? Yeah, 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 a whole two. Right. Yeah. It, it's the doctrine of salvation is what it is. And, and what we find out as you study salvation through the Bible is that there's really three parts. I'm saved, 
I am being saved and someday I will be saved. What's that mean? That means that there's a moment of salvation that where we, last week we talked about how you were dead and it is just as if you were going to raise someone physically from the dead. It takes a miracle to raise somebody spiritually from the dead. It is not you. It is all him. He uses you to proclaim the message and that's it. You step back and you watch the miracle happen, right? That, that's the, I, I am saved. That's that part of soteriology. When you, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the light bulb goes on, the miracle happens, you're saved. There's a, there's a second part of soteriology that is, I'm being saved. And it's what, it's another, there's another big Christian term that we use um, in Bible college called sanctification. Anyone ever heard of sanctification? Raise your hand. That's a little bit more common. Yeah, yeah, right? You guys can win a Scrabble tournament this week or a Jeopardy tournament. And, and sanctification, that's that part where the Bible says we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is what I hope. I hope that if I went away for a year and came back, um, that's, I mean, that'd be nice, but it's not going to happen. But if I went away for a year and came back, I would hope that you are closer to Jesus in one year than you are right now. I would hope that your life looks like the needles pointing forward. Or I guess if I'm looking at you, that would be forward, right? I'm, I'm hoping that the needle's pointing forward for you, that, that you are not stagnant, that you are not plateauing, that you're not declining, but that you are growing in your walk with God. That's this middle place of, uh, in soteriology, that we are being saved. And, so when I, and then someday you're going to be saved by you die and go to heaven, hopefully right? That's a, that's a big, that's that third part. But this being saved, when I talk about concepts like last week and this week, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to, to listen to it online. Um, but when I talk about these concepts, it, it can come across in such a way where you're like, oh, I might not be saved. And if you're not, I hope you get saved. But if you are saved, I don't want you to doubt your salvation. I want you to, to wrestle with these concepts because we are all being saved. We are all growing in our walk with God. And if you are noticing something in this message today that you're like, oh, there's a check there. I'm not quite where he's talking about. Can I just encourage you to grow? Can I encourage you to let Holy Spirit mold you and shape you to be more and more like Jesus? Does that sound good to you? All right, here we go. I, when I first started to study for this message, I, um, I thought I was going to go in a different direction, and, and I actually, like, it didn't quite all come together till even early this morning, because um, uh, it was the same passage, but it was a totally different thought, and I, um, so I just want you to, I, I, if it, I hope it just comes out. Can I just say that? I hope the Holy Spirit takes it, and, but this is what we find in Acts. When it started in chapter one, do you guys remember the famous verse, Acts chapter one, verse eight? It says, but you will receive what? power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witness witnesses in jerusalem in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth and and this is this is like a like a foundational scripture for us as believers i believe it's a foundational scripture for for even the flavor of church that we're in pentecostal charismatic we're like that you will receive power this isn't just a word like where we just talk the talk but there's also evidence there, there's power involved in this whole thing but there is this there's this other part that sometimes as pentecostal charismatics that we forget like the whole verse the whole verse talks about it's power so that what we would be his witnesses. And, and in these, really these four areas, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was where our Acts 2 Holy Spirit showdown happened, and everybody was empowered. 
That was the upper room experience. In other words, Jerusalem was, was where they lived, where they were familiar. It was their own people. Jerusalem was, so you are first witnesses in your own family and in your own uh, workplace and in the people that you're in your sphere of influence. That's Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria were surrounding communities. And, and uh, really, Samaria is really, you, you could include it in Judea. But listen, Samaria was specific in this verse because, because Samaria, Samaria was known for half-breed Jews. The, 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 the full-on Orthodox Jews were, were super prejudiced against the Samaritans. And you find that in different places in Scripture. And so he's like, and Samaria. You'll be my witnesses, even to those people that you don't like. Even to those people that are different than you, you'll be my witnesses to. That's what he's, that's what he's saying there. And then, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. That means the whole world needs to see. And that includes the Gentiles. And um, how many know what a Gentile is? It's all of us. <laughs> we're, we all fit that category unless you were, unless you were born uh, Jewish that your nationality is Jewish, you are a Gentile. It's Jewish and everybody else is Gentile. And so, so the good news for you and me is that, is that God was thinking of us even at that verse. He's, someday the gospel is going to go out and the Lombard family is going to get saved. <laughs> right? Someday the gospel is going to go out and, and people that, that aren't Jewish are going to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And so at Acts 2, when you, go, when, you, when you go further on from this verse, the, our classic Pentecostal charismatic moment where the Holy Spirit gets poured out and what was the evidence? There was tongues of fire. They were speaking in tongues. Everybody, I mean, it was, it was amazing, all of this. Can I tell you, guess what? They're, they were all Jews. Every person there was a Jew. It hadn't gone to the Gentiles yet. And I want to talk a little bit about that today and then hopefully end up in one really nugget of truth that we can all take away today. But Acts 2 was Jewish and Acts 10 is us, Gentiles. Watch this. So I want to, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the first verse here, Brad, and then, and then we'll, and then we'll show, um, we'll go back to some pictures. Acts 10, starting in verse 1, is at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, I want to, I want to show us, I was actually in Caesarea. I know, I'm just trying to make you jealous and trying to make myself look great. I was in Caesarea. Pictures, here we go. So, um, so this is kind of what it looks like. It's, a, it's kind of a sandy area on the Mediterranean Sea. And, and this, is, this is what was that. Next picture. You see all of this, and the, the sea is right in the back. Next one. Now this, um, this, uh, this is super spiritual. Um, this was a first century Roman uh, bathroom, uh, toilets. I actually had a picture of me sitting in one of those. I didn't, didn't know if it would be appropriate or not for today. Next one. This is likely, um, if, you've, if you've been read in Acts at all and you saw um, Paul on trial um, in, in Caesarea, before, I think it was before Felix at that time, or maybe it was Agrippa, and, uh, and that's where, it, right in that general area would have been where Paul would have been um, on trial, and that's just, it was just kind of cool. Next picture. 
This is a first century Roman Colosseum. Caesarea was a Roman, uh, um, uh, Roman city in, in Israel. And so this was, it was all Roman. This is a Roman Colosseum. Next one. Except for those lights weren't first century. Kind of, this again, just kind of shows you what it, what it may have, have looked like. All of those are kind of first century ruins. Next. And we were definitely on the Mediterranean Sea suffering for Jesus right there. Next. Oh, not next. Is that it? All right, good. You don't go, don't go ahead of me, man. All right, good. Even if I tell you to, you don't. All right. So uh, let me just read on. In this, this is where this is where um, Cornelius was. This is where, if you've read in Acts, um, um, Philip, the um, uh, w- one of the one of the deacons that was in what was that Acts was that Acts six. Um, he lived here in Caesarea. Paul lived here for a time. This is a this is a huge place in our Bible, Caesarea. So Cornelius was there. It says he and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, how many think that would be a great idea? I've never had that happen, but um, I would love that. Anybody would like that? An angel of the Lord come to you and say your name out loud. Absolutely. Okay, there was not very many hands. I don't know if you're scared or tired. Verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Evidently, he was scared. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, we, we, start, we, we realize a few things here. Cornelius was, was a God-fearing man. Um, it doesn't say that he knew Jesus, but he was, a, he was a, a, a Roman soldier. He was in charge of 100 men, and he was God-fearing. He was a good guy. He prayed. In fact, God heard his prayers. And it doesn't even say why, but he says he has a vision. And the only instructions here was send men to go get Peter from Joppa. We found out in Acts chapter 9, if you had read before, that Peter, Peter was in Joppa for a, for a time, staying for a long period of time at Simon the Tanner's house. So that's what's going on. So he just obeys. That's a good idea. Cornelius obeys, sends his men. Oh, now I want to I show you some, some pictures here. We were, um, we left Caesarea, we drove about, oh, it's, it's about 30 miles or so, 30, 32 miles or so, and, um, and we were driving, and, and, and really all of a sudden our, our um, driver and tour guide, they said, hey, we're going to make a quick stop, and we're going to pull off, and, and there's just one quick thing I want you guys to see, we're going to take, oh, about, about 30 minutes, no more than an hour, and then we're going to hop back in the bus and keep going. This was, uh, this was Friday, this was Shabbat. And uh, we were going to get back in time to have our Shabbat meal. And that was, that was going to be amazing. But okay, let's, let's take a quick stop because this is super important. So we stopped. And we get out and we all go. And we're, we're just walking. We don't even know what we're going to see. 
We walk around, we walk to some places. We, this is kind of what it looks like. This is first century um, um, buildings. Actually, these, some of these buildings and walkways, um, like they are, they are still occupied to this day. There are people that live in some of these first century homes, which is just really cool. Next picture. This is kind of what you see over here. Next picture. So we'd walk through. Now, obviously, they've updated some things, and, and uh, they didn't have drain pipes and all that back then. But uh, next, uh, next picture, we just walk through. This is, this is kind of a, um, you know, one, just a real pretty, pretty area. But as we're walking through all of these places where first century people would have lived, um, it's being occupied to this day by people. In, in, this, is, this is a city called Joppa. This is a city called Joppa. Next picture. All of a sudden, we're... Uh, we're walking through and in just a minute all, we come to this place next picture and we, we come right here and I want you to go to the last picture Brad and this is where we're at that's that door right there and we're standing there in a group and our, and our tour guide says hey I just want you to know we know for sure this is a fact this is, sometimes when you're in Israel, they say, hey, tradition says, and so you just don't know. You know you're closer to where it was in, uh, than Kearney, Nebraska, but it might not be the exact spot. Other times, you know for sure. And they said, this is for sure. This is a place. This is a historical fact that this is the place where Peter stayed at Simon the Tanner's house. Right there. We were looking at the door of Simon the Tanner's house and the rooftop where in just a minute you're going to see that Peter went up on the roof and prayed and had this incredible vision. I was like blown away. And part of what I was blown away was this was the beginning of where, of where we start to come into the story. This is, I'm like, I'm standing there and I'm like, this is us. This is where we come in. Man, I don't know if you get excited at all, but I'm excited that it went also to the Gentiles. I'm excited that not only was there the Acts 2 Holy Spirit showdown, we're going to see in a few minutes, there was an Acts 10 Holy Spirit showdown where we get to be grafted in. Super cool. All right, maybe you don't think so. Verse 9 says this, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So the guys that, that Cornelius sent, they're on their way. They're approaching the city. And at that same time, roughly, Peter went up on the roof of that picture I showed you and he was praying. That's where he would often pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I just, I like little nuggets like that. Just little supernatural things that tell us, um, hey, if it happened in the Bible, it can happen today. Uh, what would be a trance? I, I, you know, today, I, I guess it would be where, where you might not know if you're, if you're physically present or if you're someplace else. You're, you're in a vision, an open vision. You're, you're uh, likely not asleep. You're, you're awake, but in an encounter with the Lord. And it happens. It still happens today. Um, and it happened then where he was praying, and all of a sudden he has an encounter. What I like here was, uh, he wasn't even looking for the encounter. He j- it, it happened. It, it, it came upon him. And this was this whole story where we started in Caesarea and now we're in Joppa. You watch. This was a divine Holy Spirit setup. God's ministering to Cornelius in Caesarea. God starts to minister to Peter in Joppa. And in God's mind, he's like, they don't know it, but this is going to change everything. He falls into a trance. 
He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Now I want to tell you, we are this message. I would love to dive into to some some more deeper teaching on some on some Jewish customs and all that. That's not where I felt like the Holy Spirit was going this time. But what I do want you to know is um, this this verse, this passage, isn't about food. This passage is about people. And you're going to start to find that out. Sometimes, sometimes we interpret Scripture, we read that, and we say, see, we can eat anything we want. Now, there's other places in Scripture where we can debate on that. It's just this isn't it. This one isn't that, okay? This was a vision of what the Jews would have said, unclean food, and God saying, go ahead and eat it. And Peter's like, what? You're, you're asking me to disobey your direct order? Are you, are you, and, and he had to do it three times because he just wanted to make sure, uh, hey, you told us specifically not to eat and you're telling us me to eat right now in this vision. Three times. And then finally in the vision, he's like, okay, God, right, if it's you. And then this is what, this is what, uh, what Peter realizes through, through the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, this isn't about food, this is about people. That I don't want you to call unclean what I call clean. And what Peter doesn't quite realize is that there's going to be these Gentile men that are going to be meeting him right here, and there's a whole Gentile community down the road, and you've got to realize that, hey, you remember in Acts 1.8? You remember that this thing was supposed to go to the world? And up to this point, it stood pretty close to Jerusalem. There was some persecution that set it out. And, but for, for the most part, this was a, this was a Jewish revival. Not that, not, not that there weren't any Gentiles giving their heart to the Lord, but this was primarily a Jewish revival. And right now, Peter is having to obey the first word that they got in Acts chapter 1. And if, if you don't think this is good, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to do my best. So it goes on. And, uh, and he, he meets with these guys, and they, then they, they head on this, oh, 30-some-mile journey back to, um, back to Caesarea. And verse 24 says this, The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together, his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Anybody know where another time where there was a large gathering of people and the Holy Spirit was getting ready to be poured out? Acts chapter 2. This is, this is the, the outpouring in Acts chapter 10. He found a large gathering of people. Let's see here. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, this, it, it, that's not, that wasn't exactly true. It was, 
it was common that, that a Gentile would know that, that, it's, that it's at least taboo, that it's at least, it's, not, it's not, um, not common for Jews and Gentiles to associate. There wasn't really a law about it, but there was maybe this uh, kind of unwritten, unsaid law. And so this translation says law, but it wasn't, it wasn't as, as uh, I don't know, uh, as clear as that. So, but, but it was, they were well aware that this was not common for a Jew to come into, because here's why. Um, it wasn't the Gentile person that was unclean. It was their practices, and it was a lot of the things that, the, that they touched. So a Jew couldn't go into a Gentile home, not because the Gentile was unclean, but because the home was unclean, right? Because the practices, oftentimes there was idolatry. Oftentimes there was food sacrifice to idols, all of this other stuff. So, so we, so so we come back to this story, and he says that he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? That'd be a, that'd be a good question. The, the rest of the verses go on to Cornelius saying, hey, I just had this vision, the vision that you guys all read a few minutes ago. He says that to Peter. And then all I knew was that we were supposed to send for you. So why don't you just tell us everything God puts on your heart right now, is what Cornelius says. Peter takes the cue and says, all right. And he shares the gospel of salvation. He shares everything that, uh, about how to give your heart to the Lord and encounter and the death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, it was, it was a super clear salvation message. And uh, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So this is, this is interesting. All of a sudden, we're starting, to, we're starting to, to find two worlds getting ready to clash here. And, and wait a minute. The Holy Spirit even comes on Gentiles? The, this doesn't, this, and they're not, they're not circumcised? How many know if you've ever studied anything in, in biblical history that circumcision was a huge deal? I mean, it was commanded by God, and these, these Jews, they were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Holy Spirit is on the Gentiles? This is huge. This is a huge moment. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit, what? Just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, we could easily go off onto many rabbit trails. I'm going to keep us focused here. <laughs> there is so much good stuff to study here. And the next few chapters, Acts 15 will be another, well, Acts 11 and then Acts 15, mile marker chapters in the, the Jewish and Gentile uh, revivals. And, and really the Bible says that we, are, that we are coming into one new man, neither Jew nor Gentile, but one new man, all this, like great stuff. But we're not just not going to go there too much right now but what we are going to see is wait a minute man 
the, the Jews, they just, they couldn't really process this thing that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just as they did. In fact, you see that again in Acts 11. Acts 11, starting in verse 1, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now, that's a big deal to sit down and eat a meal for a Jew. That, that was more than just like, like, you know, going down to the McDonald's or something. Like, like this was, we accept you, and we accept everything about you, and we're, we're friends, we're family. Like, that's what eating a meal was. They're like, you ate with them? No way. And you move on. Watch this. Uh, Acts 11, starting in verse 15. Peter is explaining the story that happened in Caesarea. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, Acts 2. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now here's the key, watch this. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Oh, that's so powerful. And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now in the next 10 minutes or so, we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to show you why this is so important. Here's, here, it, here it is. Listen. There was evidence. There was external evidence there was internal evidence but there was external evidence here there was a there was a reason how did they know how did they know that the gentiles now were able to 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 be saved and to have the same type of repentance that the that all of these jewish messianic believers had how did they know that was the question when the story got back to the other apostles and believers in jerusalem they're like wait a minute like these are uncircumcised people this doesn't make sense how did they know that the script had changed that that, that god flipped it on its head what was what was the big deal how could they say oh okay we we agree with you now what was it what was it it was the deposit it was the seal this is what ephesians calls it ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says and you also were included in christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 2 Corinthians kind of says a, a similar thing here. Paul wrote to, to both of these churches. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a what? Deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. As I was reading this, I was wrestling with what, what angle do I take with this? All of a sudden I just realized the reason why they knew the Gentiles had come to repentance was because the Holy Spirit, in a dramatic way, came on them, and he was the deposit. In other words, 
They were confused. They hadn't worked out all the theology yet. They hadn't wrestled with it. In fact, in fact, it's another like, like nine or ten years before Acts 15 happens. And you'll read in Acts 15, and that's the Jerusalem council, and they're, they're wrestling with, well, what do we require Jews to do, and all of this stuff. And, or, I'm not sorry, Jews. What do we require Gentiles to do? I mean, so it's another like nine or ten years before that happens. I mean, they're still wrestling with all of these things. But what they couldn't deny was this. If the Holy Spirit came on them just as he did on us, God must think it's okay. If the Holy Spirit came on them with evidences, with external evidences and internal evidences, the external evidence, what? what they spoke in tongues. They, they praised God. I think this is more than just praising God. I think that there was, there was such a divine shift there in this house where all of these people were that this was more than just lip service. There was an all-out worship service and Peter looked at them speaking in tongues and praising God with all of their hearts that it was such different than the than the people that he saw when he came in the house, like they were walking out of the house different. He's like, he's like there was tongues, there was praising God, there was all this stuff. I, I couldn't deny it. They must be saved. They, they, they must, he came, the Holy Spirit came on them just as he did with us. Why is that important to you and to me? Why is this whole thing important? Because there is external evidence and internal evidence that you're saved. And last week we talked about quite a bit about making Jesus Lord of your life and and if you if you say you came to Jesus one day and have a salvation story you came to Jesus and nothing changed you were living one way and you gave your heart to the Lord and then you're living the same way I just I submitted to you I question now I'm not the judge but I question if you're going to heaven if nothing changed are you kidding me you were a drunk before and you're still a drunk you were sleeping around with people before and you're still sleeping around? You were talking this way before and you're still talking? That? I, I'm, I'm just, I question. I am so glad I'm not the judge. I think someday we're gonna get to heaven and there'll be people that are there and we're like, how'd you get here? And I think, I think we're gonna get to heaven someday and there's gonna be people not there and we're gonna be like, where are they? I think there's pastors that are, that are gonna go to hell. And I think that there's people that we question their salvation that are gonna make it. I am I'm glad that I'm not the judge. There's a huge, there's a danger zone that some people live in, and this is all I'm saying. If, as I judge fruit, which the Bible says as believers we're supposed to judge the fruit of other believers. It's no, there's no point, Paul says there's no point in judging the world. That's God's job. But there's a point in judging us that, that call ourselves believers. And if I'm judging us, especially as a pastor and a spiritual authority in this church, I just want to let you know there better be external evidence and internal evidence of your salvation. Okay? What's that, what's that mean? Are you okay? I felt, I felt like I could share this because I'm going on vacation today. Okay? <laughs> listen, listen. How do I or others know if I have the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't you like to know? Because that's the question. Here's the thought. Our evidence for our salvation is the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Can we agree? Our evidence for salvation is the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us may, may differ on how that happens. You know, 
uh, I grew up in a tradition, as I study scripture, I would say that, that at salvation you receive the Holy Spirit and then there's a second work of, of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes on, that empowers us. Uh, and sometimes it all happens at once and sometimes there's salvation. I mean, you look in a couple different places in Acts and there were some people that said, uh, you know, that they, that they received John's baptism and he said, well, did you, have, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were saved? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Did anyone grow up in that church? Right? So... Uh, I'm just saying, you know, yes, yes, there's, there, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's, I consider it two works. Some people grow up in a tradition where it all happens at the same time. That doesn't really matter to me right now. What matters to me is there's external evidence and internal evidence. How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? How do others know if I have the Holy Spirit? Well, one, there's going to be at some level righteous living. Okay, can we just say that? At some level, there's gonna be, and when I say righteous, that's another big Christianese word that means you do right stuff. (laughs) You don't do bad stuff. You do right stuff. But here, let me just submit this to you. You can live righteously and not be righteous. There are a lot of good people that are gonna go to hell. You can live, you can live righteously and not be righteous. That's, that's one of the big questions that comes to like people like me and, and other spiritual um, leaders is, is, wait a minute, but they're, but they're, man, they're such a good person, right? They're such a, they're so, they're so good. And I mean, and their good outweighs their bad. And can I just say, it's just not gonna cut it. There's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It, it is, it is salvation by grace, through faith, only one way, and it has nothing to do with your works. It is not a work salvation. It is 100% the grace of Jesus, and your role in it is to receive it, to accept it. Now, the supernatural aspect of salvation that we talked about last week is that your life starts to change. There starts to be internal and external evidence, but you don't have to change yourself to come to Jesus. You, You let him change you, in the process. What I'm questioning is if you never change, I mean, if you got saved and a year later you're the same, I just, I'm like, ah, something doesn't make sense. Something didn't, there was, the transaction didn't quite happen is all I'm submitting to you. You all right still? Oh, she's clapping. Thanks, Lydia. Happy Father's Day to me. So you can live righteously and not be righteous. Um, here, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit or if someone else has the Holy Spirit? Um, that, you know, there's supernatural strength to conquer sin. We, we, uh, we don't, um, it doesn't mean that, that you never sin. It's just that, it, it's just, there, one, one thing is that you have conviction <laughs> when there's sin. You, you're like, I know that's wrong. And I'm, and I'm trying to, to, the needle's pointing towards, towards uh, getting better. Uh, I, it's not that I don't sin, but I sin less. It's, it's like my goal is Jesus. My, and, and when, when you start to, to make excuses, you call what's sin um, right and what, what's right sin. When, you, when you're doing all that, like that's when we start getting into some weird territory. If I, if I tell you, hey, well, the Bible says that's sin, and you're like, no, that's just my personality. Or no, that's just, uh, you know, that's, that's, how I, that's how I was born or that's just my and you start making excuses for what's sin well then we have a problem but if you recognize it as sin and are growing and just and and 
confessing and growing and confessing and growing, well then, well then you're on a journey with Jesus. Does that, I hope that makes sense to you. There's, there's progressive sanctification. I talked to you about that. You, you, you get saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. Here's another thing about, about the Holy Spirit. You're like, do I have the Holy Spirit or do I not? The Bible says the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. You are little by little gonna know more about him and about Jesus and about his word. You can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. It's just gonna be like, like gibberish. It's just gonna be foolishness. If you're not saved, this is just a textbook that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you are saved, this becomes the living, breathing word of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Here, here's some other, some other stuff. Here's a famous verse, Galatians chapter five, starting verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. In fact, the, the Bible says the kingdom of God is, is a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. I put the wrong version in there because I didn't, I, I, I'm like, who says forbearance anymore? But uh, patience, patience is another word for forbearance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. In other words, hey, there's also some internal evidence. If you're a person and your, your peace level is always tanking, there's no peace in your life, man, I would, I would start to, to go after Jesus more. I'd start to be in his word more. I'd start to be in worship. Something's off if there's no peace. Now, we go through seasons. But if, you're, if your lifestyle is a lack of peace, if your lifestyle is a lack of of love. If your lifestyle, there is no joy. Here, he's, Galatians, Paul's saying, hey, guess what? Here's the fruit of Holy Spirit living. And can I give you a secret? Like, you don't have to try to produce fruit. It just happens. As you are connected to the vine where Jesus talks in, in uh, John 15, the more you're just with him and spending time with him and his word and in worship and growing in your walk with God. These are natural outcomes. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit are natural outcomes. And so if those natural outcomes aren't happening in your life, I would just take that to Jesus. I would say there's something wrong with this picture because there's internal evidence and external evidence of your salvation. And if we're saying the Holy Spirit's our deposit, guaranteeing, our inheritance, there needs to be Holy Spirit fruit. Now, a lot of that stuff for us, as we watch people and as I, as I get a chance to hang out with you or you hang out with me, a lot of this stuff happens, happens over a long period of time where you just know someone over a long period of time and over a, over a long period of time you realize, oh, hey, here's some of the evidence of their life and, and, here's the, and over a long period of time with Jesus, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm saved because, you know, and there's internal evidence and external evidence over a long period of time. But Peter and the apostles, they didn't have a long period of time. He, he's in Caesarea and how does he know that these people just repented and gave their heart to the Lord? Because the Holy Spirit was poured out in external Evidence. Now, I, there, I will say this. I do not believe, and I, and I don't have time to prove it here, but I just want to submit, and then later we can talk about it, right? Because all you guys will sit down for coffee with me, and we'll talk. Listen, I don't believe that 
you have to have tongues, the gift of tongues, to be born again. And I don't believe that you have to have the gift of tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and have supernatural boldness. People are baptized in the Holy Spirit and have other, other external evidences of Holy Spirit working in their life through power and works and all this type of stuff. I do believe that it was the most common external evidence in Acts 2. As you read through, as you read through Acts, it is the most common. And in our culture, who we are very intellectual, we are, we are super, we, we process things, we're analytical just by a culture that we live in. We have, uh, we have how do I say this, um, thunk ourselves stupid. <laughs> we, we just, we, we get so much in our head and I think at, at some level we've decided, well, tongues is just, that, that, that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, that I, I, I feel like I'm just making something up. Or I feel like, can I just say, like, like it was common in the book of Acts, it was one of the big evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit and being saved. Um, I will say there's also evidence to say that you don't have to have that. But hey, why would you want to ignore a gift? I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit isn't weird. The Holy Spirit isn't scary. And if he wants to give you a gift, I would just say, take it. Just take it. And whatever it smells like, looks like, sounds like, whatever. It's good. It's good for you. It's good for us. Tongues was a big deal. Um, uh, there was tongues. There was in, in Acts 10, there was this exuberant praise. Like Peter looked at them and he said, they're speaking in tongues and they're praising God. Can I just say, if it's hard for you to praise, if it's hard for you to worship, that's, also, that's another external evidence. I worship regardless of what people think. I've watched some of you grow in your walk with God and one of the evidence that I know that the Spirit's moving is that you used to be like this and then you moved here and here and here and here. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, is that the only thing? No, but man, I see some of you and you know one of the evidences, I told you about a story of a boy that gave his heart to the Lord a, a few weeks ago in, in my office and, and you, know, you know how I knew? All of a sudden his countenance changed. There was joy, joy all over his face. I'm like, he got it. He got it right there. I'm going to stop there. I just want to, I want us to wrestle with the concept that if you're saved, there's evidence. I don't know what that's going to look like for all of us. There's going to be times that we struggle with, with fear, and there's going to be times that we struggle with sin, and there's going to be times that we struggle with boldness and not sharing our faith, and there's going to be all kinds of things that, that we bump into here and there. But if there is a lifestyle that you're walking in where you don't have external evidence or internal evidence, and you're still calling yourself saved, can I just say, come talk to me? Let's just, let's, let's talk about this. Come up to the altar and get prayer. Um, uh, wrestle these concepts out with somebody because you're at least in the danger zone. And I would hate for you to get to heaven someday and talk to Jesus and he said, why should I let you into my heaven and you not have a good answer? That's a bad time to figure it all out. Can we stand together? Pastor Kelly's coming with one last song and we're gonna worship with one last song here and as you're wrestling with some of these concepts, Let's worship the Lord, and, and right after this, we're going to invite our, our altar team forward, and, and you'll be able to leave or stay. And if you stay, you may want to come forward and allow these people to, who've been prayed up, they've been praying for you. Some of them have, have been getting 
um, pictures and visions about you, and they would love to just pray with you today. And especially if you're wrestling with, man, I don't know if I have external or internal evidence. Maybe you need to come forward and let someone pray with you today. Let's worship.
We're going to stay in here for a little bit and continue to worship. You're welcome to leave if you need to leave. Our altar team is coming forward right now. And if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, they'd love to partner with you in prayer up here in the, in the altar area. God bless you guys. We love you. I'll see you in a couple weeks.